text this morning is Numbers 8, verses 1 to 4. Now the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and say to him, When you set up the lamps, the seven lamps shall give light in front of the lampstand. And Aaron did so. He set up the lamps in front of the lampstand as the Lord commanded Moses. And this was the workmanship of the lampstand, hammered work of gold. From its base to its flowers, it was hammered work, according to the pattern that the Lord had shown Moses. So he made the lampstand. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, light and darkness each represent different things. Darkness is associated with the night. In the Bible, it's often associated with separation from God. Light is associated with the day. In the Bible, it often symbolizes God. This morning, our text focuses on a piece of temple furnishing. It speaks about the lampstand. The Lord instructs Moses to set up the lampstand. He commissions its use in the tabernacle. It was set up on a table placed in front of the Holy of Holies. The lampstand had seven wicks. Oil was burned in them day and night. And thus the lampstand produced light in the tabernacle. This light shone directly on the 12 loaves of bread that were placed on the table in front of it. The light of the lampstand produced enough light for the priest to minister in the tabernacle. Some scholars suggest that the verses of our text are out of place. Why are there suddenly some instructions about the furnishing of the tabernacle? Number seven was about the housewarming gifts that the Levites gave to the Lord for the proper functioning of the tabernacle. And number eight is about the ordination of the Levites to serve in the tabernacle. Why these few verses about the lampstand in the midst of these other passages? To understand that, we need to know what the lampstand was and how it functioned in the tabernacle. We need to consider not just its utility, that it gave light in a dark tent covered with animal skins. We need to understand what the lampstand represented. When we understand that, we can also see how Jesus Christ came in fulfillment of the symbolism of our text. It will also help us to understand our role as Christians in the world in which we live. Preach to you the word of God under the following theme. God shines forth the light of his blessing on his people. We'll consider the purpose of the lampstand, how Christ is our light, and how we are to serve as lights. To properly understand what God is teaching us in any passage, we need to understand that passage in its context. The first nine chapters of Numbers tell us about the time when Israel was camped at Mount Sinai. During that time, the tabernacle had been built. Now, after about a year of being camped, Israel is getting ready to move on to the Promised Land. Yet before they go, some last-minute preparations need to be made. Many of those preparations centered on worship in the tabernacle. 
Number seven dealt with the housewarming gifts that the tribal leaders gave on behalf of Israel. They included wagons to help transport the tabernacle, utensils for service in the tabernacle, and all the prescribed sacrifices to allow the priests to minister there. Numbers 8 deals with the cleansing of the Levites and their ordination to office. Back in Numbers 3, we saw how the Lord set the Levites apart for his service. Much of that material is repeated again in Numbers 8. But there's a further development. In Numbers 8, the Levites are actually ordained to office. It's not enough for the Levites to be set apart for God's service. They also need to be ordained. And that needs to be done publicly. The Levites served in the place of Israel's firstborn sons. The firstborn sons represented all of Israel. So in a sense, in the service of the Levites, the whole nation is serving the Lord. That's why all Israel needed to be present at their consecration. That's why representatives from the people had to lay their hands on the Levites. These men were going to serve God on behalf of all the people. The people had to own that. They needed to take responsibility for the Levite service among them. Also in the church today, God does not just call people to serve him. Consecration to God always involves some form of public recognition. Men called to serve in the special offices in the church are not just appointed by consistory. They're ordained to serve as ministers, elders, and deacons in a public worship service. The same applies to every Christian when we commit our lives to God. We don't just do that privately. We make public profession of faith. The whole community is involved. Our brothers and sisters hear us making our vows and they're responsible to support and encourage us in keeping our vows. Our text about the lampstand is centered between two passages that deal with gifts being given for the functioning of the tabernacle and Levites being ordained to serve in the tabernacle. The lighting of the lamps on the lampstand in the tabernacle is part of the commencement of worship in the tabernacle. Why does the Lord focus on the lampstand in our text. What's so significant about it? The lamps and the lampstand served a particular purpose in the tabernacle. Their function was to give light. The tabernacle was made of poles and frames with animal hides covering them. Inside the tabernacle, it would have been dark even in the middle of the day. The priests who ministered there needed light in order to do their daily tasks. So the lampstand with its seven lamps served a utilitarian purpose. They were to burn night and day whenever the tabernacle was set up. But beloved, the lampstand served more than just a practical function. The lampstand symbolized something. It is a picture of God. It represents him. How do we know that the lampstand symbolizes God? Well, the lampstand itself gives several clues. 
Leviticus 25 tells Exodus 25 tells us about the instructions the Lord gave to Moses about the furnishing of the tabernacle. God commanded that the lampstand be made out of pure gold. He took a talent of gold, about 75 pounds, worth $2 million today, to make the lampstand with its lamps and utensils. All the other furnishings, like the ark and the table for the showbread, and the poles to carry them were made out of wood, plated with gold. But the lampstand was made of pure gold, because only solid gold could represent the splendor of God. The lampstand supported seven lamps. In the Bible, seven is a number that symbolizes completion or perfection. God created the world in six days and rested on the seventh day, establishing our pattern of working six days and resting the seventh. It is in the seventh year. The Israelites were to cancel all debts and to free their slaves. Elisha instructed Naaman the leper to wash himself seven times in the Jordan River to be healed. Revelation addresses what will happen in the last days through visions of seven seals, seven trumpets, and seven bowls. And so we see the number seven points to the work of God. It's also important to note that the lampstand with its lamps provided light in the midst of darkness. The function of the lampstand was to give light or to shine upon the exact same Hebrew word is used in the priestly blessing in number six of God's face shining upon his people. The light of the lampstand thus represented God's favor or blessing shining out into the darkness. Do you know where that light shone in the tabernacle? Our text specifies that the lampstand and its lamps were to give light in front of the lampstand. The lampstand was placed on a table that was against the outer wall of the Holy of Holies. The light of the lamps was to shine on the showbread, the twelve loaves presented to the Lord by the priest on behalf of the twelve tribes of Israel. That is why this note about the lampstand follows number seven. Where the, 12 pre, where the 12 tribes presented their offerings to the Lord. What the priest declared in the words of blessing, the lampstand proclaimed as a daily reality. The light of the Lord's blessing rested on the 12 tribes of his people. Light symbolizes the presence of God. Numbers 9 makes it clear that applies not just inside the tabernacle, but also outside. It tells us that on the day the tabernacle was set up, the cloud covered the tabernacle by day and a pillar of fire by night. We know that after Moses appeared in the presence of God, he had to wear a veil. For his face shone and reflected some of the glory of the Lord. When Jesus was transfigured before three of his disciples, his face shone like the sun. His clothes became as white as light. At Paul's conversion on the road to Damascus, a great light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shone around him. 
1 Timothy 6, 16 says that God dwells in unapproachable light. And thus the first verses of Numbers 8 are not misplaced, as some suggest. They are key verses in the story of God's people Israel. The Lord commanded Moses to set up the lampstand in the tabernacle to visibly symbolize his presence among his people. As light brings life, so God shines forth the light of his blessing on his people. Please remember that the lampstand was tended by the priests each day. Olive oil was topped up as fuel and the wicks were trimmed. The lampstand provided light 24-7. It showed forth God's presence and his blessing on his people. What a comfort for us as we enter into a new year. In many ways, 2020 was a difficult year. And we don't know what lies ahead in 2021. Yet there's one thing that remains constant through all the ups and downs of life. God's presence among his people. God has promised, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And so we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. Not only is God present among us, He's also a God who loves to bless his people. We confess him to be the overflowing fountain of all good. That's what was symbolized in the setting up and the functioning of the lampstand in the tabernacle. This brings us to our second point. Didn't we consider how Christ is our light? It's well and good to say that God's blessing rested on his people Israel in the days of Moses. But we're living thousands of years later in totally different circumstances. We don't worship God in a tabernacle or even in a temple anymore. A seven-branched lampstand is unfamiliar to us except as a picture in a book. So what implications does our text have for us as New Testament believers? The lampstand was a symbol that pointed forward to Jesus Christ. We believe that all of Scripture is fulfilled by the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is the central message of the Bible. It's all, he's also the central message of numbers. Many people don't realize that. They don't get much out of a book like Numbers because they, don't, because they see it simply as a historical narrative about the people of Israel. Jesus fulfills the symbolism of the lampstand in the tabernacle. Jesus Christ is the one in whom the light of God's blessings shines on all. John makes that point in the opening words of his gospel. He writes, in him, in Jesus, was life. And the life was the light of man. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Or as Jesus himself says in John 8, verse 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus is the light of God's favor, shining out into a dark world. Our text is very specific about the purpose of the lampstand. 
It was to shine light forward in front of the lampstand. The light shone on the 12 loaves given by the Israelites representing the 12 tribes of Israel. In the Old Covenant, God's favor and blessing rested predominantly on the descendants of Abraham. Other people could be incorporated into the people of Israel, but they were few and far between. With the coming of Christ, the boundaries upon which the light shines have expanded. Jesus is not simply the light of his own people, Israel. He is the light of the world. In Christ, God's blessings are extended to people from all tribes and nations. This was anticipated already in the Old Covenant. In one of Isaiah's servant's songs about the coming of the Messiah, he prophesied, It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you a light for the nations that my salvation may reach the end of the earth. Thus we see that Christ has come to bring light to all of mankind. Jesus is the light of the whole world. He now gathers up people from every tribe and language and nation. God's favor and blessings shine forth universally. Just before his ascension into heaven, Jesus commanded the apostles to go out and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. God's intent was to shine forth his grace and blessings universally. He now gathers up people from every nation and tribe that as his redeemed people, we may live in the light of his love and the joy of his presence. Yet not all share the blessings of God. This is because not all are willing to receive Christ as the light of the world. In John 1 verse 11, John writes, He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. In John 3.16, Jesus spoke those famous words, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Yet you need to receive Jesus as the light of the world. You need to believe in him to share the life he gives. Not all people are willing to do that. John explains why in John 3, verses 19 and 20. He writes, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and the people love the darkness rather than the light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. To our sinful nature, sin can be so attractive. Sin thrives in the darkness. It does not like to be exposed. The reason why many are not willing to receive Christ and believe in his name is that they prefer to live life their own way in the midst of their sins. You see, beloved, if you are a weary traveler lost in a blizzard, a light up ahead 
is a welcome sign. It represents a place to shelter from the storm, a place of warmth, of life. For a cockroach, however, light is an unwelcome reality. Cockroaches prefer darkness to light. When you shine a light on a cockroach, it will scurry away. It's not afraid of the light itself, but of the human being behind the light. It's afraid that will stomp on it or squish it. That's why it runs away from the light. In the same way, Jesus is a light that either draws people to him or who causes them to run away in fear. It depends who you are. If you are a weary traveler, Christ will draw you to a light to the light as a light will during a blizzard when you're lost. You'll look to Jesus for life and for hope and peace. It's by coming near to him that you will find meaning and purpose in life, that you'll find comfort and rest for your soul. But if you're a cockroach, you'll run from the light. You will not want anything to do with Jesus because he's a threat to you and to the sinful pleasures that you enjoy. Coming to Jesus will expose your sins. It will require you to change how you live. Many don't want that, and so they reject Jesus as the light of the world. We need to acknowledge, beloved, that by nature we are like cockroaches. We all once loved the darkness more than the light. Only the transforming power of the Holy Spirit moves us to faith in Christ and gives us a heart that delights in the light. Paul explains in 2 Corinthians 4 verse 6 saying, For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the grace of Jesus Christ. It's only by God's transforming grace that we come out of our dark corners into the light of Christ. For it's in him alone that our sins are forgiven, that we are restored to fellowship with God. Thus Christ is the light, for he alone brings salvation and blessing to his people. Brings us to our final point, and it will consider how we are to serve as lights. The glorious message of the gospel is that, Christ, that in Christ, God has taken us out of darkness and brought us into the light. Yet God is not done with us when he brings us into the light. He also makes us into lights in the world around us. In Revelation 1, John is given a picture of Jesus standing in all his magnificent glory in the midst of the seven churches of Asia Minor. These churches are identified as seven lampstands. I want you to consider how amazing that image is, beloved. In the Old Testament, the lampstand was a representation of the glory of God shining out his blessing on his people. In the New Testament, God intends for his glory to shine forth from his churches. 
We are the lampstands. Our task as church is to represent the light of Christ, to shine forth his glory into the communities around us. That's why in addition to saying, I am the light of the world, Jesus also said, you are the light of the world. To whom was Jesus speaking when he said those words? We tend to read those words individualistically, as if each one of us personally needs to shine a pure, bright light into this world. Yet when Jesus tells us that we are the light of the world, he speaks in the plural. He said, you are the light of the world. A city sat on a hill cannot be hidden. Both those images are corporate. It is as church that we are the light of the world, that we are a city on a hill. It says, Jesus dwells among us and shines forth his light in our midst, that his glory shines out from us to those around us. In our reading from Ephesians 5, Paul calls us to walk as children of light. So how do we as church shine God's light to the world around us? Jesus explained our calling to be the light of the world in this way. He said, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Are we that kind of blessing to the community around us? Do people see our good deeds and glorify God? If our churches were removed from the community, would anyone notice? There's also a second way in which we as church are to be a lampstand in our community. See, beloved, light and darkness cannot peacefully coexist. If we're faithful in Christ's calling to shine forth the light of Christ into the darknesses of the world around us, we will be an annoyance to some people. How, you ask? Simply by the manner in which we live. If we live our lives to the glory of God, that'll be a huge challenge to many around us. It will shine the spotlight on how our lives are different from theirs. It'll expose their sinful walk of life. Those living in darkness do not like to have their sins exposed. There's a reason why the Christian faith comes under attack in the culture wars going on in our society. You rarely see the media attack Muslims or Hindus or other faith groups for their beliefs. Yet Christians are routinely attacked and marginalized for their views. We are considered unloving for opposing a woman's so-called right to terminate the life of her own child. We are considered homophobic for not agreeing that it's normal for members of the same sex to have sex together. We're considered backwards for simply not agreeing that boys should be allowed to be girls and girls boys. Now we have to admit, beloved, that as God's lights in this world, we as churches are 
often weak and flawed. In many cases, the church has very little impact on the community, either as a blessing or as a challenge. To a large degree, the community is able to ignore us and to pretend that we don't exist. They can drive past our church signs on Sundays and ignore our postings on social media. They can dismiss our lifestyle as being different or weird. But it doesn't diminish our calling to be a lampstand, to reflect Christ's light to those around us. Beloved, we may be numerically small in the midst of our pagan culture. We may feel like we're weak and short on resources, that we have little to offer our community. But that doesn't excuse us from fulfilling our calling. It's not a bad thing to recognize our limitations as long as we remember God's power. God was able to create a universe out of nothing. If he's able to rescue and to regenerate dead sinners, and God can also work through weak and sinful people like us to impact the world around us. In 2 Corinthians 4, Paul speaks about how we are but jars of clay, weak instruments. Yet God uses us to shine forth his grace and love, to show that the surpassing power belongs to God, not to us. God's power is always made perfect in weakness. It's important for us to remember this. We can never fulfill our calling to be lights in this world in our own strength. God promises to supply the power for us to reflect his light in this dark world as long as we rely on him. We need to acknowledge our weakness and our inadequacy to turn to the Lord in prayer, asking for his blessing over us as lampstand. Ultimately, beloved, we cannot win our neighbors for Christ. We just need to be faithful in telling others about the grace of God and in modeling Christ's love. God alone can change hearts by the powerful working of his word and spirit. Beloved, we are entering into a new year. The darkness of the world is increasing, especially in the Western world. As Christians, that darkness encroaches into our lives as well. And yet, God shines forth the light of his blessing on his people. Jesus Christ came as the light of the world. We just celebrated that at Christmas. He brings life and comfort and joy and peace and hope. God's grace and love in Jesus Christ shine forth in the gospel. You and I live in the light of Christ. When we live in his light, we shine for him into the darkness of sin and unbelief. May God purify and consecrate us 
so that more and more we point others to his glory and his saving grace, so that through us God may call many more from out of darkness into the glorious light of Christ. Amen. Let's respond to the gospel message by singing together Psalm 67, stanzas 1 and 2.